You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Lockdown NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's love for Green Bay football. Actually, a correction, we're not really talking Packers today. We're... We decided we're going to call this like the crap report. <laughs> Gil, we're talking about the Vikings, the Lions, and the Bears. This is the state of the NFC North. So strap in, buckle your seatbelts. Um, hopefully we can get through this without gagging too much. Uh, we were trying to, to decide, like, you know, because we, we usually try and go about 45 minutes on this podcast. We do 15 minutes on the Lions, the Vikings, and the Bears. And then we thought, man, how are we going to talk about the Bears for 15 minutes? Because how many different ways can you possibly say they stink? But uh, you know what? We did our research. We actually have some interesting tidbits to bring to you about all three of these teams. Um, real quick, a couple little Packers notes. Uh, really, uh, there's, there's only two that are super worth getting into. Um, the Packers... Waived kicker Dominic Eberle, um, who I was never able to get excited about. Uh, the Then they brought in the claimed kicker Gabe Burkich off waivers from the Vikings. He's a 2022 undrafted free agent out of the University of Oklahoma. So the former Sooner um, had uh, pretty decent stats. Uh, I, I, I did immediately see some stats floating around on Twitter. Um that uh, were slightly less than favorable, but after digging in, it looks like his uh, field goal percentage was uh, over 82% and his extra point um, percentage over the uh, uh, four years he was at um, Oklahoma, he uh, only missed one extra point. So it was like 99.4%. And he has great long range uh, ability from 50 yards and, and more. Yeah, I think his career long is 56 yards, but he, I want to say he went five of seven in his final year with the Sooners um, on kicks of 50 yards or more. So, uh, you know, I, I never understood why we moved on from J.J. Molson, even less understood um, hanging on to Dominic. Uh, Gabe seems intriguing as the uh, number two kicker option behind Mason. You got to assume that Mason's going to be our starting kicker this year, but it's nice to have competition um, in that room. Make Mason earn it. Make him stay sharp, stay focused, stay competitive. Uh, we have seen that work uh, three different times now, where he had kind of a down year. We brought in um, a a serious contender in in training camp, made him kick for his job, and it really paid off in the regular season. So, looking forward to that. The other thing is, Alan Lazar did finally go ahead and sign that second round tender. So he's going to make just a hair under $4 million this year. And um, I don't know what took so long. Um, presumably he was asking for something from the Packers. Doesn't seem to have gotten it because he just signed the second round time that was offered to him all along. 
I'm curious what he was looking for. Was it guarantees on his money? Did, was he looking for a longer-term deal? Was he looking for promises of a longer-term deal? I'm not sure. Um, you hope that uh, Lazard and the Packers are on good terms and that he's a happy camper. Um, but uh, he, he was in uh, in camp this week at, at OTAs uh, participating, so that's good to see. It's nice to have him back in Green Bay. Always good. And, and look, when you already have lost Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and even EQ, having an experienced receiver who actually does have the trust of Aaron Rodgers is a very good thing to put on your roster. So uh, happy to have Lazard back. And, and look, let's face it, for Alan Lazard, this is an opportunity. He has a chance to be the number one receiver on this roster, if not certainly one of the top two. And if he and the Packers are unable to come to an agreement on a long-term extension before the season starts, this is, you know, betting on yourself. You go out there, have a great year this year, and next year he could be an unrestricted free agent and he can more or less write his own ticket. Yep. All right. Enough talking about a good football team. Let's talk about three bad football teams. <laughs> We're going to kick it off with the Vikings, who I think are clearly um, in a different tier from uh, the uh, Lions and Bears. And the biggest question that I have is, are they in the same tier as the Packers? How much separation is there between the Vikings and the Packers? Clearly the two best teams in the division this year. Uh, I think there's a pretty, well, I think there's a substantial gap, but I I think sort of the wild card is the Lions. They have a number of players who could gel uh, and maybe make them make that gap a little bit less. I still think, you know, you have the Packers at one tier, the Vikings at at a second tier, and then the Lions and then the Bears. But you're talking about that that gap between the Vikings and the Lions could be reduced depending on how some of the younger players Detroit has drafted the last couple of years come through. Sure. Looking across the two rosters, I I thought an interesting exercise to do was to look at the projected starters for both the Packers and the Vikings and ask the question, where, if anywhere, would I take what the Vikings have instead? Now, the obvious easy answer to go with is receiver. Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in all football. I have no problem admitting that. Um, in fact, it's really hard not to like him. I do manage to hate him two Sundays a year when he's uh, playing against us. But really talented player, really likable. Um, you know, all the talent of Stefan Diggs without all the drama. JJ is a, a clear and obvious uh, upgrade over any of the Packers wide receivers. And I, I would argue that even at this stage in his career where he clearly is not who he was for so many years, Adam Thielen is still probably better than anybody we have. The one question you might ask is, would you take the, if you were just going to do a, a one-for-one swap, would you take Adam Thielen in the twilight of his career, certainly waning, um, you know, several steps removed from where he was uh, even just two years ago, would you take him or a young kid like Watson who is brimming with tons of uh, potential? I mean, would, would anybody trade two second-round picks for Adam Thielen? Well, you know, the Packers gave up two second-round picks to 
go up and draft Watson. Would anybody give up that capital to get Thielen? I'd say probably not. I would say Christian Watson probably a little more valuable on the roster than Adam Thielen uh, would would be where I'd put him. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. And, you know, check back in a few years. Maybe the answer is different, but not as of right now. Sure. Um, across the offensive line, you find an interesting thing here with the Vikings. So they the biggest question they have anywhere across their entire roster is the interior of their offensive line. Center and right guard are kind of a big problem for them at the moment. So they did just bring in Chris Reed. He spent last year with the Colts. And the thought is that he's probably your starting right guard. However, Garrett Bradbury at center has been appallingly bad. His pass blocking grade is way below average. Vikings fans do not like the job that, that uh, Garrett Bradbury has done at center. If Bradbury does not take a big step forward from where he has been the first, uh, what, three years of his career, the thought is that newcomer Chris Reed is going to step in and be the starting center. Now, the bad news is that Chris Reed's pass blocking grade is also below average. Um, he did have... His overall grade, uh, he, he kind of peaked in 2019 after three uh, pretty terrible years. Then he regressed pretty significantly in 2020 back to almost where he was before his peak. But he kind of jumped back up. So he was uh, low 50s for three years, 70 in 2019, 63 in 2020, and then jumped back up to a 67 last year in 2021. But in all those years, still his pass blocking grade was a problem. So... Mm-hmm. The interior of that offensive line is still an issue. And if Reed bumps over to center, Garrett Bradbury is not would not be expected to be the new right guard. Instead, you're looking at uh, Austin Schlotman. Austin Schlotman spent three years with Denver. And I, let's see here. His grades are hilariously bad, and I don't understand why the Minnesota media is suggesting that he would make sense to be your right guard. His best year in the league was his rookie year, uh, graded out slightly below average. Since then, he's been one of the worst interior offensive linemen in the NFL. So now, uh, let's see how many games. Can I pull this up? How many games did he play last year? It's a question. Problem with this site is that whenever you try and open up um, their week by week. Right. It it drops which player you're looking for, and you have to grab the player again. Okay, so last year, he only played three games. So that does factor in here. That, that was a question I had. Uh, but he – so in, in those three games, he was in there almost exclusively on run-blocking plays. He did have one game where he pass-blocked 27 times, and the results were – absolutely just horrific. <laughs> um, he allowed four hurries on just, what did I say, 27 pass blocking yeah. plays? Yeah. Um, it was it was not not a pretty sight at all. Um, and, and he also took all those snaps at center. Uh, but he does have experience playing at both guard positions as well. So uh, personally, if it were up to me, now I don't know 
Bradbury's history and you know how much he might have played at guard. But to my thinking, if you can play at center, you can play at guard. I would be much more inclined to kick Bradbury over to right guard as opposed to Schlotman. So um, no question, they have to find some semblance of a good interior um, from a combination of those guys. Ezra Cleveland was a guy that was really um, you thought drafted to be a tackle at six right. foot six, 309 pounds. He spent his entire career so far with the Vikings. It's just two years this is his third year at left guard. Seems like that's his spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have two established tackles in Brian O'Neill, who is serviceable and Christian Derisaw. Uh, this is going to be his second year in the league. He had a decent enough year last year. He uh, finished as the 36th best offensive tackle. Not too terrible, considering that every team has at least two tackles. Right. So he's, you know, could, and and top, yeah. For a rookie, you know, you you take that a rookie. Sure, absolutely. He was better as a run blocker than a pass blocker, but not bad as a pass blocker. I think if you're a Vikings fan, you're you're certainly pleased with what you got out of Darrisaw and Brian O'Neill last year. So. When the Packers are going up against the Vikings, a smart game plan would be to attack the interior of that offensive line and um, maybe not worry about the tackles quite so much. Side note, we've seen Rashawn Gary lining up over the center, a la uh, Zadarius Smith, um, in that rover role in OTA. So that could be a fun wrinkle to add to the equation. Yeah, and then you get the feeling that a guy like Kenny Clark would have potentially some very strong games against the weaker interior of that Minnesota offensive line. So uh, there are some matchups when these two teams play them. It's opening day. We don't have to wait that long uh, that that the Packers could possibly take advantage of. So here's the biggest storyline overarching the Vikings this year. You got a new head coach in town, Kevin O'Connell bringing his own flavor to the offense. So for forever, the Vikings were, as we knew, a very run-heavy team. They loved their tight ends. They um, they ran uh, just a ton of two wide receiver sets. They were frequently in 12 or 21 personnel. The thought is that's going to change this year, but my expectation would be that there would be at least a blend of this new offense and kind of what the um, roster is built to do. Um, And as you're looking at how these tight ends are going to factor in, Irv Smith Jr. missed the entirety of last year. I forget what injury he had, but he did not play at all. So his last year playing the league was 2020. Uh, That was his second year in the league. Um, and he was certainly decent, um, nothing to sneeze at, a uh, little bit to be desired in the blocking game, but as a receiver, he had 365 yards and five touchdowns, 30 receptions on 41 targets. His receiving grade was a 75.4, nothing to sneeze at. You got to wonder, you know, so he's, he's played two years, then missed a year. You got to wonder what now this fourth year is going to look like for him coming back. And then opposite him. You got Johnny Munt, former Ram, who has been in the league since 2017, and he's kind of only ever been just average. He's definitely much more of a blocker than a receiver. I would expect to see Munt on the field a lot. Um, 
And at, you know, as we're talking about uh, run blocking and, and running and all that, that certainly um, has been a, a massive part of their game. We have to talk about the running back situation. Dalvin Cook hit a wall last year, had a, a really poor year, especially by his standards. 2020 was his best year ever. And then last year, he averaged just 4.6 yards per carry, which is low for him. He had six touchdowns. He did have um, over 1,100 rushing yards on 250 carries. Yeah, not bad for an off year, right? <laughs> not bad for an off year. But the the big concern that you have with him is wear and tear. He there really looks like his body is wearing down under the heavy workload the Vikings have been giving him. He is missing a ton of time. Um, one thing that it seems like the Vikings are interested in doing with him that will maybe help alleviate some of that wear and tear is use him more in the passing game. They're splitting him out wide more frequently. Problem with that is he's never been a very good receiver. <laughs> uh, even in 2020, he was uh, just barely average in receiving. And then 2021, um, it, by the way, I, I just want to make sure that the listeners are fully understanding what I'm talking about in terms of the wall that he hit last year. So in 2020, his overall grade was an 89. His rushing grade was a 90.2. He had five yards per carry that was tied for eighth most in the league. He had 312 carries. Uh, he was second in rushing yards in the NFL with 1,557 yards. He had 16 rushing touchdowns tied for second. All right. Last year, he was the 42nd best running back in football. His overall grade dropped from 89 down to 65. His rushing grade dropped from 91 down to 68. His receiving grade went from 62 down to 51. Like I said, he went from 16 rushing touchdowns to just a six, and he had 400 fewer yards. And then obviously the other um, thing to look at is how many uh, games he's missed in the last few years, uh, because it is certainly concerning. He played 13 out of 17 games last year, missed four games. And that was uh, coming after back-to-back uh, -back years of missing at least three games. So um, the, the, the biggest thing that the Vikings are hoping for him is that he can stay healthy. Um, and then secondarily, I think that although you do want his rushing game to um, really set things up nicely for the passing game, I think that you, you also want to – try and preserve him a lot more so that number one, he can stay healthy for this year. Number two, he can stay healthy for you in future years because he's certainly starting to look like he has been run into the ground by the Vikings. Yeah. And you know, sort of the same way we hear all the time that the Packers are going to start running the ball more and, and not relying on Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. you, you sort of get the feeling the Vikings are going to say, Hey, we don't want to rely on Dalvin cook. We want to save him and, and what have you. But once the season starts and the games get underway, you get the feeling that Dalvin Cook is still going to be the focal point of their offense because he is such a dangerous player. And they, you know, when they want to win football games, that's going to be probably the best way for them to do it. Yeah. It's always been an interesting comparison for me to look at Aaron Jones and Dalvin Cook. They came into the year 
or came into the league in the same year. Obviously, Cook was immediately much more heavily featured than Jones was. Jones was not made the featured back until year three. Yeah, but if you're if you're talking about uh, Dalvin Cook being used more in the receiving game, well, let's see. Last year he was targeted 49 times, uh, hauled that in for 34 receptions. Not terrible. Aaron Jones was targeted 65 times, hauled it hauled in 52 receptions. Jones uh, just about doubled Cook's receiving yards. Uh, Cook had 224. Um, Cook only picked up 6.6 yards per reception, which actually was a career low for him. Uh, the year before, he had 8.2, 9.8 before that. Uh, he had zero receiving touchdowns. Uh, Aaron Jones, of course, had six last year. Uh, the other interesting thing is um, first downs, because a lot of the time, I think you would expect a running back to be most utilized in the receiving game as like a relief valve. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're in those kind of clutch situations. How many first downs did he pick up? Nine last year. Uh, Aaron Jones had 22. Um, you're looking at uh, also a – well, not a career low. His rookie year was his career low. But for most of Cook's career, as a receiver, he has been at least at an 81% catch percentage. Last year that dropped down to 69%. Um, and uh, – Jones last year was at 80%. No question that Cook can do it, but he didn't do it last year. So a big part of uh, getting success out of him this year is going to be um, helping him recover a bit of his 2020 form and hope for, you know, not a repeat performance of the uh, 2021 season. And, you know, the other thing is this that I wonder, and I think it's something Vikings fans will have their eye on, you're now you've introduced a new head coach and realistically Kevin O'Connell is another coach from that McVeigh tree. So right. we're going to see the Vikings probably run an offense not identical to but fairly similar to what the Packers run, some variation of it with, with their own uh you know distinct changes but uh how does Dalvin Cook fit into that kind of an offense? Where, you know, does that reduce his effectiveness as a runner or increase it? Uh, Obviously, you need a running back who can catch the football in that offense. I don't know if Alexander Madison is that guy, if Cook isn't either. So, you know, there are some questions, but adjusting to a new offense may slow down the Vikings early in the season. But as the season goes on, they may catch on get more comfortable in it, and their numbers and their production will probably be up. Hmm. That's a good point. Um, pulling this up, Madison receiving. Here's the receiving report. So as a runner, he's obviously quite good. As a receiver, he had really three good games last year. Most of the year he was um, below average or very well below average um, as a receiver. He also had one game with what two drops. Um, yeah, so so if you're if you're looking to Madison to fill in that receiving game, I'm not sure you're going to like what you find. Uh, at least not compared to Cook. As a runner, I like Madison a lot. Yeah. I uh, 
looking at some other players, you know, if you're if you're hearing us talk about the interior offensive line for the Vikings, and you're thinking, did they draft a guy this year? Yeah, Ed Ingram. Problem is, he has not signed with the Vikings yet. Uh, says that he is currently practicing under an injury protection agreement. Not sure why he's not signing. Uh, Chris Thomason, uh, reporter for the Vikings, said it doesn't sound as if second-round pick Ed Ingram is close yet to signing his contract. So that's concerning. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense, and, and I think they're going to be good on offense. The defense is maybe a bigger concern. They're going through um, an identity shift on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, and I think you like what you see on the defense here. The uh, linebackers, you got a couple of new faces in there. Obviously, you're bringing back Eric Hendricks, who had um, you know, kind of a mediocre career up until 2019 when he was one of the very best linebackers in football. Took a slight step back in 2020, but still was very good. 2021 really fell off and was not a great linebacker anymore, so you're hoping for a bounce back from Kendricks. So then you got uh, two additions in Jordan Hicks and uh, Blake Lynch, who I think we did see Lynch uh, here as last year. Was Jordan Hicks with the Vikings last year, do you recall? Uh, not off the top of my head. Let me. He, uh, he was a 2015 undrafted free agent, right? Um, in the uh, defensive back room, obviously the biggest um, name that you're interested in would be the addition of Lewis Seen, who was uh, probably my favorite safety in the draft. I was really sad to see him go to the Vikings. Uh, the other three guys. Um, back there, your two starting corners, you got, uh, of course, Patrick Peterson did not have a good year last year. Unsurprisingly, Cam Dantzler, who was, uh, certainly pretty good. Um, his first two years with the Vikings, uh, was good in 2020, slightly better in 2021 with the Vikings. You're really hoping that he takes a nice big third year leap. I would say that would certainly not be surprising if he's able to do that. Uh, the one thing that surprisingly Cam Dancer has never been able to do is blitz. So, you know, if you either teach him how to do it or quit blitzing with him, <laughs> it would be my <laughs> two cents. Uh, and then the final guy to talk about, obviously you got Harrison Smith. And here's, here's the thing with uh, the addition of Lewis scene is I think he's really good, but the Vikings have had an elite safety duo for basically forever. So even if Lewis scene it does come in and is an elite safety. Okay, you didn't really move forward. You just replace one good guy with another good guy. Right. And, you know, we have been able to handle them at least uh, fairly well when they have had two good safeties. So, you know, devil you know versus the devil you don't know. I guess I would rather just keep going forward with the Vikings having really good safeties and maybe some questionable cornerback play because it's what I'm used to out of them. <laughs> of course, we can't overlook the addition of Zadarius Smith and the return of Daniil Hunter. Right. The Vikings pass rush might get back to being lethal. Should be much um, better at the very least. We'll, we'll see. I, I am very wary as a Packers fan of what the Vikings pass rush might be able to do. To me, this is a pretty solid roster. Um, it is. And, and I'll, I'll – 
add one thing here. Am I the only one who's going to miss the the Mike Zimmer Aaron Rodgers battle? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. Zimmer was um, very enjoyable to watch on the sideline uh, as his glasses were fogging up. <laughs> peering angrily through them. Of course, in the interior of the defensive line, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson is back. They also have Harrison Phillips, new addition from the Bills. He's an okay player. Um, adds a uh, really nice run defense um, skill set that uh, obviously is what you want to see from your nose tackle. Um, the, the Vikings are Expected to be a 4-3 front this year, I think. Um, uh, you know, even under this new um, defensive look that you're going to see. Here's a guy who the Vikings are really not going to want to see out there. <laughs> they had to lead very heavily last year on DJ Wonham, who's mm-hmm. a really terrible player. I think that uh, it'd be really, it'll be really nice having Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith out there, and you can kind of hopefully forget that Wonham exists. And then, uh, obviously, one final shout-out here, Shandon Sullivan. Yeah. Now he's wearing the purple and gold. Um, underrated note, Shandon Sullivan – had himself not a very good year last year. Um, wasn't super surprising the Packers didn't bring him back. Um, he was pretty underwhelming across the board everywhere for the first time since he's been with the Packers. Um, hopefully, he does not bounce back with the Vikings. Right. Love Chandon, but you know if you're going to go sign with our rival, I'm not going to wish you uh, luck. <laughs> <laughs> If you had to guess, Gil, where would you rank the uh, number of, of wins that the Vikings are going to be capable? Like, where, where's their range for a win loss record? Uh, I would go eight to eleven. Eight to eleven. I, I think that sounds about right. I think uh, I think that the Packers need to not take a step backwards in order to beat the Vikings for the division because I think the Vikings got significantly better uh, over the course of this offseason. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think that Minnesota is going to be the Packers' top competition in the division. No question for me. And, you know, they're, they're bringing back Kirk Cousins, who had a very underrated season last year. He finished as the fourth best passer in the league for, for a long stretch of the season. He was the number one um, graded uh, passing quarterback in the football what you really don't want to see is it all just come together because the Vikings have had the pieces for a few years and haven't been able to get out of their own way what you don't want is to see it all come together and 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 the thing especially last year I think you saw it all come together for a game or two at a time where they would come in and they kind of could just really beat up on some of the uh, more hapless teams in the league and then you know, they they would uh, jump up and, and bite some team that they, you really didn't think they were supposed to beat. You know, they beat the Packers back-to-back years 2020 and 2021. Uh, you know, it just happened to be a day where the Packers didn't play their best football. The Vikings did play their best football. And the gap is small enough that uh, the Vikings were able to really take it to the Packers. So I would really, really like to see the Packers get back to sweeping the Vikings again this season. It would be great. And, you know, to me, one of the key statistics, Minnesota was terrible 
in games decided by one touchdown or less. If yes. there was a close game, I think they were two and five in those games. If they just get to four and three in those games, they would have made the playoffs last year. And that's before they, you know, change coaches, improve the defense, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you, you're pointing to Kirk Cousins' numbers, and they were better than a lot of people think. But with the game on the line, how clutch is Kirk Cousins? That's yep. something he's going to have to really answer this year. Because if he can't get it done in the clutch, maybe it's time for Minnesota to look elsewhere. <laughs> if they can, they've got they've got him tied down uh, yeah. with so much guaranteed money over the next few years. I, I don't know how they're going to move on from him. I, I don't understand why they keep um, restructuring his deal and committing to him further and further down the road. It's just wild to me. Uh, we've talked enough about, about the Vikings. Let's talk about the team that I think is the third best in the division, and that would be the Detroit Lions. When you look at the Lions, the first thing that steps out to you immediately is that they have some serious problems on defense. I think their offense is going to be just fine. I think they'll do well enough on offense that they can hang with any of um, the teams that they need to hang with. Defensively, these guys need to get way better than they were last year. Let's talk about the returning faces. First of all, Michael Brockers, uh, number 91 along the defensive line. He's been in the league since 2012. His best stretch was 2014 through 2017. Since then, he's had one good year in 2019. And 2021 was by far the worst year of his career. Put it in perspective, his previous worst year was his rookie year. He graded out as 61.9. Last year, a, a miserable 40.6. The question is, was that a result of how bad the Lions were last year? Or has Michael Brockers hit a wall? Because if he can kind of bounce back to who he's been for most of his career, it is absolutely good enough. And I think he uh, is a bit of an underrated player. Now, he is a former first-round pick, number 14 overall out of uh, LSU. Has certainly not had the career that you would have wanted for a number 14 overall. But in 2021, this is what, his ninth year in the league, is – does he have what it takes to bounce back up to where he's been for even just say last five years? Last year, he was the 104th best uh, defensive lineman in football. Previously, he had never been lower than 77th and usually lived around the 30s to 50s. Michael Brockers, and then right next to him, you had uh, rookie Levi Muzuriki uh, mm -hmm. out of Washington, similarly had a, an abysmal uh, rookie season. One of the questions that would jump out to me there would be coaching. Yeah, that, uh, well, look, I, I, I think you're looking at two different things. Uh, with Brockers, it could be an age thing. Uh, that to me, you know, you got two players that you just broke down that are sort of on the opposite ends of their career. One is a rookie. He's adjusting to the NFL the other one is a veteran who, after 11 seasons, may be slowing down. So you sort of have to see whether it's coaching or whether the stage of the respective players' careers has something to do with it. I get the feeling it's a little bit of both. That certainly could be. Uh, in terms of coaching, by the way, they did not get a new defensive line coach. It's the same guy they had in 2021, Todd Wash. Uh 
coached with the Jaguars for eight years. The final five uh, years of that, he was uh, promoted from the defensive line coach to defensive coordinator. Um, so um, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's coaching. I think that, like you said, you got these these two guys who need to get on the same page each, as each other. Um, but with Brockers, you you know, let, let's turn back the clock a little bit. Let's, let's figure out what you're good at and give you a little bit of help um, to bolster the areas where you're struggling. Levi Wuzurike has to get better in year two. And the nice thing is these two guys are um, bookended by Charles Harris and uh, Aiden Hutchinson. We had a listener question. See, it comes from Andy. Is Aiden Hutchinson really worth the spend of the number two overall draft pick? Why or why not? And I will uh, tell you that Andy is a Lions fan, and he is my father-in-law, so we have to answer this question well. <laughs> All right. Well, first of all, Andy, thanks for the question, and thanks for listening. Look, uh, as a University of Michigan alumni, I've been watching Aiden Hutchinson. And that'll do it for <laughs> us today. <laughs> I've been watching Aiden Hutchinson very closely throughout his college career, seen most of the games that he played in at Michigan and, you know, watch some tape on him before the draft as well. I thought he should have been the number one overall pick in the draft this year. Uh, he went second. I think he was definitely a great pickup for the Detroit Lions. And, you know, if, if in a short amount of time he is able to start being a, even close to the productivity he had in college, even half of it maybe, uh, he can – certainly give the Lions some badly needed pass rush. And he's also going to be able to penetrate and break up some running plays as well. You try to run wide on him to his side, good luck, because it's not going to be easy. Mm. Okay. Here are some notes that I have from NFL scouts on Aiden Hutchinson prior to the draft. Um, Hutchinson, six foot six and a half, 260 pounds. Hutchinson finished a distant second to quarterback Bryce Young in the Heisman Trophy voting. I compared him to Joey Bosa, said one scout, because Joey doesn't have the hips that his brother Nick has, but he was a really active guy that played hard. He's really strong against the run. This is a second second scout saying this. He's really strong against the run, more of a technician. I think his natural position is as a five-tech. The guy's strength is going up the field, I don't know how much he can improve, though. All right, so he's kind of put out the idea that maybe, uh, you know, Hutchinson, as a very talented player, um, it it has taken the uh, technician side of his game about as far as he can go, from the scout's uh, uh, opinion, and is maybe at this point limited by athleticism, possibly. Um. See here, uh, guys with better hips and flexibility might be able to improve more, but he is an excellent player now. <sighs> Skipping over some injury stuff with Hutchinson. Here's another quote from a different scout. He brings juice to a locker room. He's got it. I'd love to have a guy like that on our team. We have already heard about Hutchinson really hyping up the other guys on his defense, um, being a good leader. That was certainly something that contributed to his disgusting blue team um, beating <laughs> my my saintly 
wonderful, amazing Ohio State Buckeyes this past year. Um, I, I, I still think there was something wrong with the scoreboard. I'm not sure that that final score was actually accurate. But, but similar to Rashawn Gary, Hutchinson, fantastic leader. Uh, another the work scout. ethic is there, no question. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, and he's motivated, very motivated. Uh, he, he was one of the guys um, who really was uh, pushing his teammates all year that we have to beat Ohio State. We're going to stay focused on the goal. Here's a, here's a scout. Uh, the negative with Hutchinson is his inability to consistently finish as a pure marquee pass rusher. Because he's so technically sound, he can't always match up. I don't understand that last sentence because it sounds like you're um, pitching a positive and then it says, uh, you know, there, there's a negative there. So I, I don't really get that. Um, another scout. Hutchinson isn't as gifted as Rashawn Gary. I love to hear that. Yeah. But he's a better football player coming out. That Well, obviously, Rashawn Gary was super raw coming out. So not even slightly surprising that you'd say Hutchinson was better uh, coming out of college than Rashawn Gary. But right, and Gary, then Gary had have, the the freak athleticism. Right, and then you have to consider the roles they played in college because Gary was the guy at Michigan who was occupying blockers and and making plays that allowed his teammates to make tackles and sacks and all of that. That was more mm-hmm. his role. Yes. Whereas Hutchinson was the guy who made the tackles and the sacks in college. Sure. Uh, here's some stuff about his character. He's a unique character guy, a culture changer. Is he the most physically talented of this group? Probably not. This group meaning the uh, pass rushers in this draft class. But he is the best football player. He's a really good 3-4 outside backer, which is what he did this year. He could certainly play either defensive end in a 4-3. He played a lot better when he was lighter this year. Really changed his body. The motor is off the charts. So if the Lions are thinking about having him pack on some weight to play as a true defensive end, that might be a bad idea. Uh, certainly, uh, to me, I, I would rather keep him uh, as a stand-up uh, edge rusher, let him play a little bit lighter. Absolutely. Uh, since it worked for him in college. One final scout. He's not the most gifted athletically, but he maximizes everything he's got. He's a good player. I just don't think he's elite. He brings it. He does everything he's supposed to do. He's not as good as Joey Bosa. Joey maximizes everything. He's more like, uh, what is this? This sentence is confusing. He's not as good as Joey. Joey maximizes everything. He's more like Hutchinson. Nick is more gifted. Ah, I see. He's making a comparison between Nick and Joey Bosa. Got it. Um, so is Hutchinson worth the number two overall pick? Yes, clearly, because I don't think that there was anybody else that you would have taken there. I think – in some other draft classes, Hutchinson might have gone more around like pick 10 or so. But you, what one thing you're getting out of him is a, a super polished guy who hopefully is going to come out of the gate firing on all cylinders and should be able to make a big impact this year. The one question I would have is how good are the guys around him? Is he going to be facing a ton of double teams and Levi on Wuzuriki and uh, Michael Brockers are certainly not um, looking like they're going to be able to provide much support for Hutchinson. The other guy to keep in mind at the edge rusher position, I think it's going to be a rotational guy is Josh Pascal. I think he's drafted in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. I like Pascal a lot. He graded out really well for me in my draft guide. 
the linebackers are also a big concern. So you remember Alex Anzalone last year, uh, mm-hmm. long blonde hair. I called him what I call him, Clay Matthews the fourth. I think I called him. <laughs> His long blonde hair. He played the, and, and this is something you'll see with just about everybody across the entire uh, defensive roster. They all had the worst game of their the worst season of their career last year. The whole defense just it just wasn't working. Anzalone was no exception. He turned in an abysmal 35.4 grade at linebacker. He was the 79th best linebacker out of 87 total linebackers. His run defense grade was a 31.7. Doesn't get much worse than that. So uh, Alex Anzalone, one thing I liked about him, it always looked to me when I was watching the Lions like Anzalone had tremendous follow through. He yep. never gave up on a play. I noticed him fighting long after a play was finished sometimes. And then his running mate next to him expected to be uh, Gerard Davis, who, if you can even believe it, had a worse year last year than Anzalone did. Uh, <laughs> he was – they don't even have him listed in the top 89 – uh, linebackers who started games last year. So I guess he just didn't start any games. He's a former Jet. Lions brought him in. If you remember the name Gerard Davis, he is a former first-round pick from 2017, number 21 overall. Has had only one semi-decent year, and that was 2020 when he graded out as just above average. The rest of the year or of his career, he's been absolutely dreadful. So the defense I, I'm, I'm not looking at any individual players and saying, oh, you know, this guy's a problem. This guy needs, you know, to get better here, whatever. The whole defense needs to come together and take a step forward. And you see this sometimes where things just aren't clicking for the for an entire um, uh, phase of the game where you got guys who have historically been good players, suddenly mysteriously out of the blue, playing terrible football. Guys who have been bad football players suddenly reaching new lows. The Lions were that last year on defense. The defense really held them back. And to me, this is going to come down to two things. Coaching and then the veteran players. And I'm going to stick Aiden Hutchinson kind of in that group of veteran players because of the leadership role that he's going to be expected to take on. You need the player leadership uh, to lift everybody else up, and you need the coaches to help bring it all together, uh, gel, and have a really good, solid foundation, a solid um, plan, get everybody on the same page, get some chemistry, some synergy going on, because these guys really couldn't have been working together any more poorly than they were last year. Let's talk about the offense real quick for the Lions before we move on. Another question from Andy. Will Jamison Williams be ready for the preseason? What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. Um, not so sure he'll be ready for the preseason, but I think he'll be ready pretty early in the regular season. It's exactly where I'm at. Uh, Dan Campbell said that he is not expecting Jamison Williams to be ready for training camp, so I'm not either. The one thing that I would just say with Williams is that – I don't think the Lions should have a big plan for him in their offense this year because the most important thing is getting him fully healthy, fully recovered, so he can be here for you for a long time. Yep. You're not going to win the Super Bowl 
this season. But you can be a good team, but you're not going to win the Super Bowl. Let Jamison Williams get fully healthy. Let's not risk re-injury uh, for, for a guy who is not even ready to practice yet. If he can come in halfway through the season and start learning the offense, build chemistry with his teammates, with his quarterback, that's going to be huge. But, again, I, I think any benefit that you're going to get from Jamison Williams this year, the the most smart way, I think, to look at it would be what benefit can we um, get here in terms of investing in his future and developing him as a player, not can he come in and save our offense this year. This year, your receivers are going to be uh, Amon Ra, Saint Brown, and DJ Chark. Uh, that's going to be where you're going to get your contributions from. Obviously, you got TJ Hawkinson as well. And I guess we could talk about new addition Devin Funches, who has been signed by the Lions as a tight end. That one mm-hmm. surprised a lot of folks. Uh, my first thought was, okay, he didn't play any football last year. Didn't really play any football the year before. Has he uh, put on some, shall we say, COVID weight? <laughs> Why they moved him over to tight end? Well, he's always been big and sort of borderline as far as size goes for a tight end. And I remember when he was in Packers camp, people saying, oh, maybe they can move him to tight end. Yep. Uh, yep. You so know, had a conversation on this pod. Yeah. So I, I and he played tight end at Michigan uh, for part of his college career. So. It doesn't shock me. Look, at the tight end position, you've already got Hawkinson, who you mentioned. Uh, yeah. But I could see Funches sort of filling in as a as a secondary tight end receiver, a depth piece, someone with experience, someone who can help the team a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, you put him out there, it's third and six, you can, he can get you seven, that kind of a thing. That makes sense. Uh, Funchess, you know, one, one of the things that you like about him, um, uh, you know, the last year he played, of course, was 2019, but um, he was uh, an okay run blocker, uh, a, a better pass blocker. Um, you know, but he, he had a tendency to randomly, unexpectedly kind of really go off in the, in the uh, uh, receiving game. Mm-hmm. You'd have weeks where you wouldn't really hear from him so much, and then weeks where he would just absolutely explode. Right. Uh, you know, and again, he hasn't played any serious time really since 2018. Cause he played one, like half a game in 2019, and I think he tore his ACL. 2018 is the last time you saw him. So there, you know, he's only 28 years old, but there is a lot that he's going to have to come and fight through to get back on the field and really contribute in a meaningful way. Uh, it's been Let's see, uh, so 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, four years since he played. Had to do that math with my fingers. So he's fresh. Four years since he played. <laughs> he, he should be all fresh. He should be, definitely be fully healed yes. by this point. <laughs> so, you know, but if, if you're thinking to yourself like, oh, man, we don't want to move him to tight end. He's going to have to learn all this new stuff. Yeah, he was going to have to kind of learn how to be a football player again anyways. And I think that at this point, with it being this long since he's played, a little bit of a long shot anyways that he's going to make anybody's roster, even the Lions. Why not get funky with it? Take him back to his roots. Uh, you know, let him let him uh, have some fun at tight end. You can still line him up at receiver, but he is a bigger guy, six foot four, 225 pounds. He's, you know, would be a little bit small for a tight end, but not super small. You can do some stuff with that. Uh, one question for me would be where his weight is at, because that 225 pounds is the last time he was measured. 
let's say he's packed on 10 or 15, wouldn't be right. hard to do in, over the course of three or four years. That would make him probably a better tight end, especially if that's muscle. Yeah, especially if that's muscle. That's always a big if, of course. But, <laughs> you know, look, I don't think too many people question Devin Funches's work ethic. I mean, uh, so I, I'm not worried about him, you know, going out there and not being ready for the opportunity. The question is whether or not all that rust over time uh, sort of prevents him from playing at the level he needs to do to make that adjustment and become uh, an NFL tight end. But you know what? It's a low-risk, high-reward kind of a signing for the Lions, and I, I, I think it's worth a shot. Let's put it that way. Now, on offense, you do have two problems, and, and neither one is on the offensive line because the offensive line is phenomenal. You have two problems. Quarterback, we know what Jared Goff is. He is one of the most uh, perfectly average quarterbacks in NFL history. Um, grades out at basically a perfect 60, which is exactly average. Um, the guy had one really good year in 2018. And we know what that was. That was Sean McVay's brilliant offense. That was Todd Gurley. That was uh, a stable of, of three incredible receivers in Brandon Cooks, um, Robert Woods, and was Cooper Cup there already? Was he the third? I think he was, yeah. For some reason, that doesn't feel right to me, but we'll say it was. Um, he's, he's, he's okay for where you're at right now, but obviously you need a quarterback in order to really make any noise in the postseason. The question is, can you get to the postseason with Jared Goff? Because that would be a huge win for, uh, the lions for Dan Campbell. If you can get back to the postseason. uh, I, I, I think that what you're hoping is that Goff will continue to play at a level uh, where he's not losing you games. And that, unfortunately, was kind of a, a, a where he was for the first half of last year and for the second half of his final year with the Rams. He was frequently the reason that his team wasn't winning games. Second half of last season, he played at a certainly a much better level. But even if he stays at the level he was at for the second half of last season, it's not really good enough. It's it's good enough for a rebuilding team. It's not good enough for a team that has any uh, serious aspirations. They do need to find a quarterback. I think they also need to find a running back. DeAndre Swift isn't the answer. And uh, I'm just going to preempt this apology for a lot of Packer fans out there who really love Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams isn't the answer either, um, as evidenced by the fact that the Packers were never able to make him their feature running back. Well, look, I think Jamal Williams is a great change of pace back. Uh, he'll give you everything he has. Number two. He's a great number two, but he's not going to be a number one. one. That's the problem. They, right. Swift isn't a number one. Williams isn't a number one. You need a number one running back. You kind of got number twos, or two number twos right now that you're making do with, and a less than stellar uh, quarterback. So you're asking the offensive line, the receivers, and the tight end to be the entire offense. There are some coaches out there who could maybe make that work. We saw Sean McVay make that work for a couple of years, um, you know, 19 and 20 and even 21. He was kind of making that work. But even Sean McVay, you know, at, at a point had to throw his hands up and say, all right, give me Matt Stafford instead of Jared Goff. Right. And for the love of everything he got, give me a real running back. <laughs> Not that they found one last year, but uh, – 
Um, well, they tried. It, 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 it worked well enough. Look, they, they, they won a ring, all right? Yeah, <laughs> they did. Lions, how many wins do you think they're going to get this year? Uh, I'm looking at five to eight as my spread. Probably closer yeah, well, to eight. I think I'll go slightly more generous. I'm going to say five to ten. I'm going to put my, you know, if we're like doing pin the tail on the donkey, I'm going to say they're going to get eight or nine wins this year. Uh, uh, I'm if, going if, with seven or eight. If things really fall apart for them, certainly you could see them back down around the, the five win territory. And I think that that would be a really bad sign for the, for this rebuild. And I, I would really question at that point, whether Dan Campbell is the guy, if he can't uh, increase the wins um, up closer toward 500. It's a key season for him. I know the, the players liked him. The fans liked him. He gave the team some reasons for hope, but now you got to start showing some signs of progress in the, in the win loss column. All right, let's talk about a team that's going to certainly regress in the win loss column. And I will tell you that I think the Chicago Bears are should be the front runner right now for the number one overall pick in the draft. Um, I think the, the Seahawks are going to give them a run for their money. There's a lot of people who think that the Falcons are going to be right in that mix as well. I don't know how anybody is going to compete with how dreadful the Bears roster is. There's hardly a bright spot anywhere. I, Without a doubt, the three best players they have are Robert Quinn, David Montgomery, and Darnell Mooney. And that's a problem because I think of those three, probably only Mooney would have any shot at being a starter for the Packers. Yeah, I'd say that's probably about right. The rest of this, of this roster on offense and defense is pretty atrocious. Looking at uh, the number two edge rusher, actually, before we get to that, let's talk about the number one edge rusher because Robert Quinn is not at OTAs, and Matt Averflus, the new head coach, was refusing to answer questions about why Robert Quinn wasn't at OTAs. He said that's a problem for the GM to solve. Um, So that's not great. Not a good sign if you're a Bears fan, no. Um, Jalen Johnson, their number one corner from a year ago. Still looks like he's doing fine. I think that uh, you have a lot of um, hope for his future. And, of course, they brought in Kyler Gordon, who, you know what, we're not going to say anything negative. It's it's OTA's time. You're not going to really learn anything. But we'll just say there hasn't been anything super positive yet out of Gordon that right. would make you excited. They also have uh, new safety, Jaquan Brisker. A lot of folks liked him in the draft. I did not. I was kind of pleased to see that he was happened to be the safety that the – Bears selected out of the pile of safeties available who I thought were really good. But here's, I think, uh, oh, I I did say I was going to talk about their number two um, edge rusher. I should have looked up how to pronounce this guy's first name. Uh, Al-Kadeen Muhammad is his name. Uh, Was with the Colts last year. He's a 2017 sixth-round pick out of Miami. He's only ever been pretty much exactly average. He's your number two. He's really your number one until Robert Quinn decides to show up. Um, the rest of the defensive line looks pretty terrible. Uh, Justin Jones, former Charger, um, pretty much just an average guy. You got uh, Angelo Blackson has been a horrific football player, uh, been with uh, the Bears for a while. He's a, a 20, 
15 fourth rounder. Um, Roquan, I, I think, is one of the most overrated players um, on defense out there. He gets a lot of hype because he's got some great highlights. I don't think he's a good football player at all. You might disagree with me because a lot of other Packer fans disagree with me on that, but I wouldn't take Roquan. He would be my third or fourth linebacker for the Packers. Yeah, I well, he'd certainly be the third. I, I would say that Green Bay could use some depth there, but uh, yeah. Um, looking at offense, it's not much better. And I think where you need to start is with the offensive line because uh, you remember that uh, last year, um, Tevin Jenkins, they drafted in the second round. They gave up a bunch of picks to go up and get him. He's been demoted to second team. Um, <laughs> second team right tackle. That's that's just a horrific sign. Um, Larry Borum was their fifth rounder uh, a year ago. He is now the starting right tackle in practice. And then fifth rounder from this year, Braxton Jones, is their starting left tackle, which is it's, – it's, you know, chef's kiss. Mwah. Love looking <laughs> at all the players that the Bears gave up in order to go get Justin Jefferson and Tevin Jenkins. Because it is absolutely a travesty. I'm just going to start off from the top with Evan Neal, who was in contention for being the number one overall pick. Obviously, he went a little bit later to the Giants. Right. I think pick, pick five. But here are the, the, the picks that the uh, Bears gave away to get Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins, and Larry Borum. They gave away Evan Neal. Kadarius Tony, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, who, spoiler alert, has been absolutely killing it with the Browns, Tommy Tremble, Shai Smith, Jamar Johnson, and tight end Daniel Bellinger. And for that, they got Justin Fields. They got Tevin Jenkins, who they have demoted to second string right tackle, and a fifth round Larry Borum. Well done by the Chicago Bears. <laughs> the rest of their offensive line doesn't look good either. Lucas Patrick is their starting center. I don't need to talk about him because we already know um, we're, we're really familiar with where his skill level is at. I think you're fine with him at center, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not a bright spot on your offensive line. He's not winning Sam, all pro honors if that's what you're getting at. So Sam Mustafer, their, um, their old center um, currently projected to be the right guard. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure why he's on the team. One of the worst offensive linemen in football. Um, I don't know that even his mother is super excited about watching Ooh. him play football. Ooh. Cody Whitehair had a fantastic rookie season back in 2016. Since then, he's been a while. Much, pretty much gotten worse every year since. Last year, he had a 66 overall grade, uh, better run blocker than pass blocker. I think you're fine with him at left guard. Um, but it's concerning that he's by far the best offensive lineman he have. And that's it. You got white hair, Patrick, three huge question marks at right guard, right tackle, and left tackle. Trying to defend a quarterback who last year looked completely lost for most of the season, was under constant duress, uh, couldn't calm down, couldn't settle down, and he's going to have another sieve defending him. I, I just, I don't understand how the bears managed to be in a situation where they have no cap space, no draft picks and no players. That's, that's the truly incredible part. Usually when you're a bad football team, who's not winning games 
and you don't have players. You have a ton of cap space, a ton of draft picks. The Bears somehow have no future and no present. So that's wild. The, well, it's the a nice trifecta. <laughs> The Packers have more cap space this year and next year than the Bears do. At receiver, the Bears love to talk. Bears fans love to talk about how their wide receiver room looks better than the Packers does. I don't know. Does it? They have Equinemius St. Brown as a starting uh, wide receiver currently. We'll see how that shakes out by the time uh, the season starts. Um, Opposite Darnell Mooney, who I think is a, a certainly adequate wide receiver too. You're Absolutely happy if he's your number two. The problem is he's their number, number one. one this year. Right. And then you got Byron Pringle, who has never done anything at all, ever. Third year in the league. Former Kansas City Chief. Uh, couldn't get anything done with Patrick Mahomes. Cole Komet. Um, now, he this is only his third year in the league, so I am not going to judge too harshly his first two years because it really is typical to take three years to get going. Uh, third year is super critical for a tight end. But I, I will just say, this is the prove-it year. This is when Cole Komet has to step up and yes. show that he was worth being selected in the second round. He's their only tight end option, unless they choose to bring Jimmy Graham back, which would make me laugh. <laughs> the only bright spot on offense is David Montgomery, who is certainly good. Um, I, I would say he is... Um, Probably about a top 20, top 25 running back in the league. No complaints about him. Problem is, uh, he is um, he's not a first-round pick. He's a third-round pick, which means this is his contract year. There's no fifth-year option. He has all the leverage to hold the Bears over a barrel and say, give me all of the money because I'm the only good offensive player you have. So they're going to have to pay out the nose to keep him. And at the, at the center of all this, you have Justin Fields, who I really, really liked coming out of college. I, I really thought he was special. Gee, I wonder why. Because <laughs> he's very good. That's why. In college. The, the, the issue with him here is he was not drafted by the current administration. Um, Matt, uh, Ryan Pace is gone. Um, Ryan Poles is going to probably be eager to draft his own quarterback. Uh, the current administration is unwilling to make any statements um, committing to Fields long-term, saying that he is the guy moving forward. He really has to win over um, his new coach and his new GM. And unfortunately, he's being asked to win them over with an absolute clown car of characters across the offensive line um, and the receiving position. He doesn't have I a just lot don't of know what he's. I don't know what he's expected to do. Uh, it, this is a guy who struggled so much last year that you would a little bit question, you know, if, if he was being moved to a really good roster with a proven um, set of coaches around him, how well would he be able to do? You don't know. He has to prove it, and he's being asked to prove it in his horrific environment. And I, I feel bad for the guy. I really do. Yeah, I look, I, I guess the question is, do you think he has the potential to become a quality starting quarterback in the NFL? And then the follow up to that is, could that be with this Bears team? And I think the answer to the second question is no. But the first yeah. question, it's a little harder to determine. Yeah, I, I would say he probably really does have the potential. There are there are some um, 
elements of his game that you want to see improved. Uh, you you want to work with him a bit on um, reading the defense quickly, um, not holding on to the ball too long. That, that was a, a sin that he was committing even at Ohio State was there were times when he really needed to throw the ball away and he would um, hold on to it and, and try and make a play. And, you know, sometimes it paid off. And the couple times that it paid off was, you know, it was like a drug hit. You know, he was, he was chasing it. And, and you see that with Aaron Rodgers, too, um, certainly over the years. Uh, that was an issue with Aaron Rodgers. So uh, something you got to break fields of and, and help him break that bad habit. Uh, I think the potential is there. I don't think it's with this current Bears team. And I also, you know, uh, like Matt Eberflus, but he's a defensive-minded head coach, and he brought in Luke Getze to be his um, offensive coordinator. And I will just tell you, I was never a really big fan of Luke Getze while he was in Green Bay. Um, and you and I had numerous conversations on this podcast about what do you do when you got to replace Nathaniel Hackett? You know, do you go uh, the route of Adam Stenovich or the route of Luke Getze? And I made no bones about the fact that I felt that Steno was head and shoulders the better candidate over Luke Getze. Um, also, you know, if you're asking Getze to nurture Justin Fields, I'll just point to for many, many, many years, backup quarterbacks in Green Bay were quite good. And last few years, I would say it's been questionable at best. I was not a big believer in Tim Boyle. Um, Jordan Love has certainly not looked good his uh, first two years with the team. We'll see how year three shakes out for him. But there's just nothing that you would point to with Luke Getze's track record to say, oh, yeah, he's the guy to develop Justin Fields and take a historically bad Chicago Bears offense and suddenly, with even worse players than you previously had, make it a good offense. This, to me, is a recipe for disaster from top to bottom. I think we're going to be at the midway point in the season this year before the Bears get their first win. I don't think they're going to get more than three or four wins this entire year. And I think that they are, um, let's just say this is a fantastic year for them to finally have a first round pick and not to have already traded away for some garbage player. (laughs) It's going to be a long year in Chicago. I agree with you. I don't see the bears as being anywhere near ready to contend. And it just becomes a question of, uh, two things. Number one, how bad will they be? Will they be bad enough to really contend for that number one spot? And then number two, can they win their Super Bowl, which is the, one of the two games they play against the Green Bay Packers? I would say if the Packers manage to lose to the Bears, we have some serious, serious questions that we're going to have to answer on this podcast about the 2022 Green Bay Packers. Here's a question that is brewing in my mind. So I think there's a, some, a clear separation between the Bears and the Lions, clear separation between the Lions and the Vikings. You think there's a clear separation between, between the Vikings and the Packers. I think I need to see them in action a little bit before I can fully answer that, but um, I, I think that it's certainly plausible. My question is, for the Lions and their you know degree of variance here, Oh, real, real quick. How many how many wins did you do you think that you see the Bears getting? Uh, I'm going to go with four. Four wins. Okay. Uh, we both said the floor for the Lions feels like about five wins. Mm-hmm. Ceiling for the Bears, you know, maybe a little bit higher than four wins, but likely feels uh, like around four ish wins. I go three to six. 
three to six. If we're okay. doing ranges again, which we did for the other teams. My big question for the Lions here is that there's enough range here in how good the Lions could be that we think maybe if all the chips fall the wrong way, they could again wind up with the fourth ranking in the NFC North. I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, if you had to bet money on this, would you say it's more likely that the Lions end up with the number two record in the NFC North or the number four? More likely they're the two. More likely they're the two. I think I agree with that. Um, now, obviously, you know, it doesn't take a ton to break the wrong way if, if, uh, if the defense really can't take a step forward or if, if uh, Jared Goff really is struggling for some reason. You could see them uh, really falling apart again. But I think, I think the number two ranking in the, in the division feels a little bit more likely. How many of these teams – in this division, would you say are uh, going to be um, in serious playoff contention of the four NFC North teams? Well, I think the Packers will be, and then I think the Vikings will fight for a wild card. You think this is the year the uh, Lions make it back into the, into the wild card? There's, there is another wild card this year. There is. I, I think they're in the mix up until, you know, let's say week 14 or 15, but no, yeah. they're not going to quite make it. All right. I, I think if the uh, if the Lions can either um, get above 500, if they can get nine wins, or if they can uh, make the playoffs as a wild card, I think that's um, a, a fantastic sign for Detroit and this um, new coaching staff and new uh, front office regime moving forward. I think that should be the goal. I think there's enough talent that, that should be the goal. Doesn't mean if you don't get it that it's a huge disappointment. But that, I think, is a, a reasonable, achievable, uh, realistic goal. So um, interesting to watch the Lions. And I think, you know, they've been bad, bad long enough that um, except for two Sundays this year, I will be excited to watch them hopefully take a step forward. Uh, it'd be nice to see a, a good Detroit Lions team again for once. Yeah, it w- it's been a long time. Let's put it that way. And speaking of a long time, we are a long time over our uh, target recording time. So we're going to wrap it up. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions. You can email us at askgohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Dot com.